In the second Quickfire Questions mini-episode, we endeavour to answer some of your questions about interviews and early practice. How did you feel straight after the interview that you obtained pupillage? I I felt pretty good. So the, I didn't get pupillage the first time round. And by the time I did get pupillage, I was really set on Five Essex Court because I absolutely love the police law practice that we have. And I had done a ton of police-related work experience and I had been to enough pupillage interviews and fallen into every possible bear trap along the way so by the time I had this interview I felt like I had sort of understood I'd got got the knack of it and I thought the interview went really well I really liked the interviewing panel it was a really nice rapport and I felt everyone wanted me to to do well so I walked out thinking that went as well as I could possibly have hoped and now I've just got to keep my fingers crossed how about you well actually quite similar when you mentioned rapport I think I also failed to get pupillage first time round. And so I'd had quite a lot of experience of bad interviews and interviews in which I knew that I had just really, really badly bombed. One of which still just makes my skin crawl. (laughs) So it was really different from that. And I I sort of enjoyed my interview. I enjoyed my interview. I knew that I could answer the questions well. The interview panel were very nice to me and they said, oh, you're the first person who's picked up on that point, on a point that I'd picked up on. So I felt generally quite confident, I have to say. Not that I thought that I'd got it at all, but at least I I felt, well, I've done, I've acquitted myself well, which was by that stage, what I was hoping for. Yeah, I I definitely left more than one interview thinking I had acquitted myself well, only not to get a second round interview from that set. Definitely, definitely. Um, It's just, it's very difficult because the worst thing about it in many ways is that you just don't really feel that you understand what has happened and why you haven't succeeded and quite often I think probably the answer is because there are lots and lots of people who are good enough to be pupils and for want of a better word you weren't the lucky one that day. Yeah so one of the other questions we got is what was your worst moment in a pupillage interview and it sounds like you remember that only too well. Oh dear yes no it really was terrible I'm not going to name the set because I now know people from the set. (laughs) (laughs) But um it was a question about the reform of personal injury damages, something like that. I actually can't remember in detail the question. All I knew was that it was something that, with hindsight, was a predictable question, and I had nothing to say about it. But of course, you can't say nothing, so you have to say something. And what came out of my mouth was the most banal and internally incoherent answer that I could have hoped to craft. <laughs> It was just, it was humiliating. And I, I think everyone in the room knew that I would have been written off at that point. But unfortunately, there was still probably about 10 minutes of interview left to go. <laughs> it was just humiliating and awful. Do you know, I don't think that sounds that bad. I was trying to think what my worst, worst pupillage interview moment was. And there are quite a lot of contenders. <laughs> the time when I was asked to do a bit of statutory interpretation and I didn't understand the statute that I had been given. And therefore tried to argue that the word not was missing <laughs> it was so bad <laughs> Sorry, that is. 
it was, oh and God, it had been a really, so funny. really good interview up to that point. And then I could just feel the energy in the room dropping and I could hear these words coming out of my mouth and my internal monologue was saying, stop talking, what are you saying? And they, they were very polite and asked sort of follow-up questions like, do you think it's likely that a, <laughs> an act of parliament would be missing the word not? It is awful when you know that you're sort of being written off as you speak. Something that I had a couple of times is that I was asked to discuss a case and so I'd sit there and discuss a case for 20 minutes having sort of read it in the hour and a half beforehand. And throughout, I had the feeling that I just didn't really understand what they were driving at with their questions. And so that's not sort of humiliating exactly, but it's it's not a nice feeling. Yeah, absolutely. So that takes us nicely to another question about what to do if you get asked a question that you simply don't know the answer to. Well, I suppose you can take your time. I think that it is really important to own your own interview. So if you're being asked a question and you can't immediately think of an answer to it, then at least try and stave off the panic and think, right, okay, how am I going to think around this? It's rare that you're going to be asked a question where it's simply a matter of knowledge. It does tend to be more about questions will be designed to test the way that you think. So you can ask for some clarification if that's what the problem is. Um, then I think what you have to do is spend, I don't know, a minute or so coming up with something and then concentrate perhaps on your presentation. So you may not be extremely happy with the content of your answer, but at least make sure that you don't let that show and that you don't sort of let your dismay leak out in front of the interview panel and then try and structure your answer so that at least it's got a beginning, a middle and an end. Yeah, I think that's a really good advice. I think the two things I would say are, first of all, set about defining the, the issues in the question. So, for example, we asked a question in our pupillage interviews this year about natural justice. And I think only one applicant defined natural justice at the outset, which as soon as you've got that definition in mind it helps to answer the rest of the question so at least it will buy you a little bit of time if you set about defining some of the terms in the question and the parameters of the question and then the other thing I'd say is try to reason it from first principles if you just have no knowledge of that particular area and I I personally found having done some debating was really useful for this because once you've got the experience of being given a topic that you know nothing about, only 15 minutes to prepare for it, and then you've got to stand up and speak for five minutes on that topic, it gives you huge confidence walking into a pupillage interview that you can speak for two minutes on something with 30 seconds of preparation. So I recommend if you're really anxious about that, try and do some debating. Yeah, and I think that's 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 a really good point because you can't really account for the questions that are going to come your way, obviously. But what you can do is try and manage and control your response in relation to being placed in that situation, which, as you say, George, you can do by practising. So we had this question. This is somebody who got pupillage on their third pupillage attempt. And 
they asked this question, which they hope will be of interest to people still applying for pupillage, and it's whether they should be doing anything to prepare during the intervening year post-BPTC and pre-pupillage. And the person who asked this has actually secured full-time employment, but it's in a different area of law from the area that they are going to be practising. And they were interested to know whether they should try to read practitioners' texts in their spare time or joining professional associations in order to attend talks and conferences. And this is a question that we are asked almost every year by our future pupils. Um, so I think it does have quite a lot of wider application. First of all, don't bother reading any practitioners' texts. For every piece of legal research or work that you'll need to do, you'll probably have to start from scratch. And until you're actually looking at something practically, it's very difficult to appreciate all the nuances in a practitioner's text. Also, they tend to be enormous and not the most riveting of reads. So I would say spare your time. Don't bother reading any practitioner's texts until you start in practice. But I would say read around your area. If it's an area of law that appears regularly in the newspapers, follow follow what's happening in the big cases, watch the Supreme Court and see if there are any of any cases in your area that are going up and watch them on the Supreme Court live website. And I think it's a great idea to join professional associations to attend talks and conferences. I wish I'd thought of that in my day. Definitely. I think, I think what you're aiming for is to get a feel for the current state of play in your area of law, rather than what you'll find in practitioners' texts, which in some cases can be a few years out of date anyway, uh, which is the sort of real technical law. It's much more important to feel that you're, um, as George says, sort of kind of up to date really with what's going on in your field. I also think that what this pre-pupil has done about getting full-time employment is a really good idea before starting pupillage. I think if you come straight through law school or university and law school into pupillage, it can be a real shock if you haven't had experience of the working world. And I think it's a really good idea to have a bit of employment experience behind you when you start. Also quite nice to be able to get some guaranteed monthly earnings as well. Yes. Our next question is, how do barristers get their cases? That's a good question. I mean, I, I suppose it starts off with your chambers. So a lot of work will come into your chambers simply by virtue of your specialism in chambers. And that will be allocated by the clerks. But some barristers are much better at marketing and have their own sort of desire to develop a practice in a particular area that perhaps their chambers doesn't do. And they will go out and get their own work. And that's Beatrice is something you know about (laughs) (laughs) look you get your work when a solicitor wants to instruct you so if you can go and make contact with solicitor if you can do presentations if you can attend events and then develop relationships and persuade a solicitor to give you a go then that may be your first set of instructions and thereafter hopefully if you do a good job they'll keep you in mind for next time so there are, there are ways that you can make contact with solicitors, some in, in public, publicly funded areas are not keen on being entertained, but others will be entertained. Uh, it's a matter of making connections, developing relationships, and hopefully someone will give you a chance. 
I mean, you, you're, you're being very modest because you have a particular interest in mental health law and you ran a series of seminars that were fantastic because I went to them about mental health law where you had a really interesting range of speakers and invited a range of solicitors to start a mental health practice. Generally, I'd say when you're starting out, you probably don't really need to do that because you're actually just getting to grips with the practice areas in your chambers and, and it's probably actually more difficult being able to say no to work than it is drumming up business I think that's that's certainly true yes we were also asked is it hard or extremely competitive to get work as a very junior barrister Hmm. that's another difficult question because I think it depends very much on your area of practice and on your chambers I think the answer to that will differ across different chambers and across different periods of time because I think some practice areas will be affected by different circumstances so for example if there is a recession you might find that general commercial work goes down but perhaps insurance work increases or insolvency work increases and it will just depend on what's happening across the the widest of sphere of that area of work as to how much work's available it's always going to be competitive because there will be, even in your own set, there will be a number of people who are around your level of call who will all be sort of eligible, if you like, to do the work that's coming into chambers. So I think you really do have to make sure that certainly in your early years, you do the best possible job that you can do kind of every time. And that often requires a certain amount of sacrifice of other elements of your life but both the clerks internally and externally will notice if you're someone who's prepared to go the extra mile or if you're someone who probably wants to take things a bit more easy and it, it, the thing is also you never quite know when the next opportunity is going to pop up and when the opportunity pops up unexpectedly you need to be in the forefront of people's minds so you need to have shown that you're hungry for work yeah we hope you've enjoyed these two mini episodes answering some of the questions you've sent in if you want more of a chance to grill us we'll be attending some of the pupillage fairs this autumn so perhaps you can catch us there